known to not tell students don't do something because as soon as you tell them don't do something, they translate that into the Greek, which means do it and do it even louder. So ladies and gentlemen, it is so good to be here with you today. Uh, I know we've had a good weekend, but Hepzibah Baptist, how are you doing today? You doing good? <laughs> Listen, I, uh, I heard that the first service was louder and better than the second service. So let me ask again. How are you doing this morning, Hepzibah Baptist? <laughs> actually, I told the first service that they were more spiritual because they showed up to church early, but I don't know if that's actually true. So, uh, hey, it was a great weekend. This weekend, we spent some time looking at the, the idea of we are not of this world. We are passing through, but like a tourist or not like a tourist, we don't get caught up in all the flashy lights and having to invest ourselves in all the little tourist traps that are around. We invest ourselves in lives, helping people to understand the life that Jesus has for them. And so on Friday night, we talked about how we don't search for things like the world searches for things. We find our hope and our value and our love and our worth in Jesus and what he says about us. On, on Saturday morning, we talked about the idea that we don't forgive like the world forgives. And we talked about how forgiven people forgive. And so, parents, get ready for the revolutionary change that is going to happen in your students when they start forgiving their brothers and sisters the way that they should have been forgiving their brothers and sisters, right? Let's just close in prayer. Uh, <laughs> Then Saturday night, we talked about the difference of like versus love and how it's okay to like things in this life, but we shouldn't love things in this life. To not love the world or the things that are in the world because the things that are in the world are passing away. And just like we talked about on the first night, they don't actually give us any lasting worth or value. But today, I'd like to kind of change who I'm talking to. This morning, I would like to call you as adults to help these students carry out the heartbeat of what they were just challenged to and charged in. And all weekend long, I, I, I did this with them, and so I'm going to invite you to do it with me. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Would you take a moment alone with Jesus? Some of you haven't taken a moment alone with Jesus in a really long time. But right now, in this moment, in the quietness of your own heart, See, I believe that God is already here, but would you invite him saying, God, I am ready to listen. God, would you speak to me? Not out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart, would you say, God, would you speak to me? God, I, like the psalmist in Psalm 139, God, I lay my life on the operating table. God, search me, oh God, and know me. And that's not an invitation to, to God discover something about me that you don't know because God, you know everything about me, even those dark places and areas that I don't want to admit to myself. Really, it's an invitation, God, to reveal to me what my heart is like. And he says this. He says, search me, O God. Know me. Try me. Test me. Show me anywhere, God, where my heartbeat does not beat in sync with yours. Maybe you're sitting there saying, Kyle, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't know if I believe in God. So, so what do I do during this time? Hey, would you do me a favor in the quietness of this moment? Would you even be willing to say, hey, God, if you're real... If you're really actually out there, would you show up in a way that I've never seen you before? Would you speak to me, God? This is, this is an unbelieving heart questioning of your existence. And so, God, would, would you show up? Would you show me you? Or maybe you're here today and would say, Kyle, I'm dragging in some hurts and some pains, and I don't really like God right now. I definitely don't love him. I don't like the things that he's doing in my life. Listen, can I tell you something? The beautiful situation is he already knows it and he already loves you. He's already ready to meet you exactly where you are. And maybe so just in a moment of honesty, just say, hey, God, you know how things are going. And I'm unsure of trusting you today. Would you remind me of your love? Would you remind me of your goodness? In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to spend the majority of our time looking at that passage and, and looking at the idea of what discipleship is. To, to make the connection. You see, uh, you, you take a puzzle, for example, all right? 
A puzzle is made up of, of, of a number of different pieces. I, I found literally the quite possibly most illustrative definition of sin in this world a couple years ago. It's a puzzle without edges, okay? I mean, that's just wrong. That's just insanity. You start with the edges and you work your way inside, right? We all know that. And puzzles are dependent. Each piece is depending on the other ones to do their part, and each other piece are depending on that piece to do their part. Let me ask you a question. You ever get to the very end of a puzzle and there's one piece missing? It doesn't matter if that piece is some nebulous piece of grass or piece of sky that doesn't really make up the picture. I don't know about you. All I can stare at is that empty void that's right there, right? If you notice, also, each piece connects with at least two or three other ones. I think that our churches are like puzzles, and I think the amount of members that we have are called to be puzzle pieces that fill their role and fill their spot. And what breaks my heart is again and again to interact with churches and to talk to them and find out not that the puzzles are pieces are missing, but that the pieces are here. They're just not a part of the puzzle connecting to create the beautiful picture of what God's trying to do. I, I use the term discipleship just to define that a little bit. I believe that discipleship is nothing more than teaching others to be what you already are. And so however long you've known Jesus, taking that truth that you've known about Jesus and you pass that on to somebody else. I believe that the great commission or great call of God to his disciples before he left was what? It was go and make disciples. Now some of you are sitting there going, wait a second, Kyle. I thought it was to reach the lost. And it is to reach the lost. Because if discipleship is teaching others to be what you already are, then for some people it's going to begin with them coming to know Jesus Christ as their savior. It doesn't matter if you've known Jesus for three days or three years or 30 years or if you're, you're, as I found out this morning, the oldest charter member that could not be possible. But if you're here and you're the old, oldest charter member, go see Oprah and make this church millions of dollars, okay? But wherever you are in your faith journey, yes, mess ups, mistakes and all, find somebody that knows less than that and pour your heart into them. 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul says this, he says, he urges us with this call of the things which you learned and heard and saw in me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And it gives the idea of faithful men teaching faithful men, teaching faithful men, and teaching faithful men. And that process only stops when we stop doing it, when we stop passing that on. Paul, all throughout his letters, talks about this topic of discipleship. He says in Philippians 4.9, he says, the things not only that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, but actually he says, the things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, do those things. Or in other words, follow me as I follow Christ. And as soon as we start saying, no, 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 Kyle, I'm a bad example. Paul literally says, if you want to know who the worst example is, it's me. And he still says, follow me as I follow Jesus. He doesn't say live out your life in a, in a sight of perfection or act like you're perfect because none of us are. I also don't think he's saying air your dirty laundry to everybody. Sometimes the worst thing we can do, I remember talking to a, a young man that I was discipling and I was walking him through different decisions that I made growing up in high school and some of the stupid stuff that I did. And at the end of that meeting, his dad pulled me aside and said, hey, do me a favor. My son doesn't need to know all the stupid stuff that you've done because all he's hearing is you can do those same stupid stuff and turn out okay. And I said, that's not what I was trying to communicate. He said, yeah, but that's what you communicated. So I'm not, I'm not saying that we air all of our dirty laundry to everybody. But what I am saying is that we are vulnerable and real and help other people to see, hey, listen, I don't have it all together, but I'm trying to fix my eyes on the one that has it all together. Let's chase him. And connecting with other people. Hebrews chapter 3 or 13 verse 7 says this, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. And so all of us tend to do this. We say, okay, great, that's wonderful. The pastor and the youth pastor and the children's pastor and the, and the worship pastor, and the, those are the people to watch. You watch them. No, 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 no. Here's what it says. It says, yes, consider them, watch their conduct, and you do likewise. And so if we expect those pastors in our churches, those ministry leaders in our churches to disciple and teach, we are called to imitate their faith as well. And so the onus of discipleship is not a pastoral ministry, but it is a church ministry. And so we have got to understand we cannot be the people that are not connecting with the church around us. 
The greatest need of our church today is not more members, but more disciples. Not more people, but more laborers and more workers. Not more teaching and hearing, but more obedience to the scriptures. You see, with God, God does not desire worship as much as he desires obedience because with God, true worship is defined by obedience. And so again and again and again, all throughout the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, you can see call to discipleship happening. The example of discipleship happening. Now let me press pause for a second because I need to, I want to bring us all to the same spot. Did you know, did you know that physicians assert that a child starts to absorb life values by the age of two? By the age of two, they start to absorb life values. They're paying attention to the way that you talk. They're paying attention to the way that you react. They're paying attention to the way that you interact with one another. Social scientists have known for years that the moral fabric of children are largely set in place by the time that they're nine years old. It breaks my heart to see churches, I don't think your church does this as I've interacted with your church and your leaders this weekend and even before this weekend, but it breaks my heart to see churches that the children's ministry is merely a babysitting service while the parents get the real word. We tell our children to wait just, just wait, let the, let the real people do church. In fact, get out of the way because you're too loud and you're too annoying and that's not how Jesus would worship. If we are not pouring into our children, somebody else is. And the world has got a phenomenal discipleship plan that they are bringing about every single day, I promise you. Did you know that the, that the spiritual formations or our spiritual identity is largely set in place by the time that we are 13 years old. Let me ask you a question. How many of you came to know Jesus Christ before the age of 13? The majority of this room. And so if we are waiting, thinking that the spiritual impact begins when people are adults, we have not just missed the boat, we have missed the whole ocean. We've missed so many opportunities. We must be intentional about reaching the next generation for Christ. Let me ask you a question. What do you want this church to look like in 20 years? Take a second and just think about it. What do you want this church to look like in 20 years? What do you want this church to look like in 40 years? I shared this mind-blowing statistic with the first service that probably will blow your minds as well. 100% of the people die. Okay, let me tell you another statistic. In 40 years, the majority of you guys as leaders and adults probably won't be here or won't be the active ones leading the ministry in 40 years. So how awesome would it be if the next generation of leadership comes from this group right here? Can I promise you something? That's just not gonna just happen. Discipleship does not happen by osmosis. It'd be phenomenal if we could just be around spiritual people and suddenly become spiritual people. It doesn't happen that way. It happens because somebody takes the time to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Hey, let's grab some time every day. Let's grab some time at, at McDonald's or let's grab some time at Taco Bell or let's grab some time at Bojangles or let's grab some time at the Holy Spiritual Place, Chick-fil-A or whatever we gotta do and let's get into the word. Hey, let me come out to your games and let me cheer you on and let me, let me get involved in your life. Let me get to know you. But then let me take some time and show you my life. Warts, up, mistakes, and mess-ups and all. Because I don't think that we learn only from the good examples. I think sometimes we can learn more from our mistakes than we can from our victories. So I am not projecting that you have to have it all together before you start to pour into somebody else. In fact, I'm saying the exact opposite. I'm saying start today, start now. One of the greatest lessons in leadership and humility came from me, from my father, who would come to us and say, I need to apologize to you for the way that I talked to your mother when you were around. That was wrong. And boys, I want you to be better husbands than I am. But then he actually worked on it. <laughs> I'm glad I never had to do this this weekend with my kids. Um, <clears throat> you see, what, we are, what are we doing now to make sure that the church's leadership in the future comes from this next generation? I love, I got, I got a chance to talk to your pastor, and I love that your church is building the heritage of faith of how every next pastor and every next leader and every next minister is coming from your church. That's phenomenal. But can I tell you something? Don't rest up or it won't happen the next time. You've got to be intentional about that. 
You've got to be intentional about reaching down and pouring into these students. These students just had a phenomenal weekend where they were willing to pour their hearts out to God and have vulnerable, open moments. And far too many times, I joke around with youth pastors that D now is called Disciple Now because we don't do it all year long, but at this one event, we do it. At this one event, the church goes, okay, now we disciple. Unfortunately, that's what happens a lot of different times. Parents, what are you doing right now to be intentional about discipling your kids? I know they don't want to listen. No, they do. They just are acting like they don't want to listen in the same way that you acted like you didn't want to listen to your parents. But you've got to be intentional about reaching the generation. We've got to be intentional about not looking outside of the church for the next hire. It breaks my heart that we as a church have not seen the vision that you all have seemed to caught to grab the next generation, to raise them up to be the next pastor and the next youth pastor and the next person or the next missionary. Why are we not seeing missionaries sent out from our local churches? You know why? Because unfortunately, parents, we've looked at kids and said, no, go get a real job and a real degree and then just be faithful to God. How does that work? We evidence faithfulness in whatever we do. We evidence ministry wherever we go. We challenge kids to pursue Jesus, but not just by our words or by our teaching, but by our actions and by our lives. The problem is not that discipleship is not happening in our churches. Unfortunately, the problem is that teaching others to be what we already are is happening, and unfortunately, that becomes the epitaph or obituary of a lot of different local churches. Because we look for somebody else to do it. Statistics in history positively demonstrate that the majority of our children will do church and ministry based on the way that they have watched us do church and ministry. Let me say that again. Statistics in history, you read through the Old Testament. What does it say? They were more evil than their fathers. Statistics in history positively demonstrate that our children will do church and ministry not based on the way that they watch the pastor do ministry, not based on the way that they watch the youth pastor do ministry, based on the way that they observe you do ministry. That's why it's so important in those conversations when you get out of church and you head home and the pastor didn't preach the message that he should have preached. I mean, not your pastor and not, 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 not you people, right? Right? I remember one time I, I was frustrated that something happened and my son called me out in the car. And I hated it and I loved it all at the same time. Because I was evidencing, evidencing to him disunity and not belief in my pastor. And I didn't think that that's what I was communicating, but that's what he was hearing. And so the purpose and the heartbeat of growing and developing and growing people's hearts the greatest call of the church is discipleship, living out an example that others can pattern after and follow. And so if you have your Bibles open, let's look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, and he says this. He says, For our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we speak, not as pleasing men, but pleasing God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is our witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond of an affection for you, we were well pleased to you to impart not only the gospel of God, but also our very hearts because you had become so very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our, our labor and our hardship, how working day and night so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you as believers. And just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And then he says this, For this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which performs its work in you who believe. 
I'd like to use the avenue of the, of the negative positive today. I'd like to talk a little bit about what discipleship is not, and I'd like to talk a little bit about what discipleship is. And I ask that you start to hold up your example or, or, or the time schedule of your life or the situation that you're going in and evaluate what you're doing based on what the Word of God calls us to. Because I believe, and let me be absolutely clear, parents and leaders and grandparents and people even that, are just, that just showed up today. Listen, I believe, number one, that every single one of you are here because God appointed for you to be here today. It is not a mistake that you are here. Number two, number two, I believe that every time the word of God is opened, every single one of us ought to hold up our lives as an example and evaluate our lives and our example based on what God has called to us. And to say, like we prayed about, anywhere, God, that my example does not beat in sync with yours, change me. But let me say this, number three. I can't tell you how many churches I go to and I hear of people that say, when I was young, I told God I would go into ministry and I'm still sitting here today. And maybe, just maybe, God has you here today to remind you of that promise to step into ministry or missionary ministry or youth ministry or children's ministry and God is lovingly remind you to follow after the word that you gave to him. Not only because you need it, but because these students need it. So let's look at this. First of all, let's talk about how discipleship is defined. First of all here, he says that discipleship is defined as being authentic. Being authentic. In, in verse number, number three, he says this. He says, for our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or from by way of deceit. He said, listen, we were real to you. We were absolutely real. Again, even sometimes where we messed up, we were willing to, to be honest with who we are. But at the same time, he also wasn't saying that this was a bait and switch. He wasn't saying, hey, come to Jesus and all your problems go away. And then they realized they came to Jesus and sometimes it's harder following Jesus than it is not following Jesus, right? Paul says, no, no, no. We laid out what life really, really was and what life really, really looked like and what it looked like to follow Jesus. And when we messed up, we were real and honest about it. Second of all, he says this. He says it's generous. It's generous. He says, for, our, for we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a, a pretext for greed. God is our witness. He says this. He says, we didn't choose to minister because we were going to get something out of it. He says, we also didn't choose not to minister because we weren't going to get something out of it. Sorry, pastor, I can't show up. The big game is on, and that's more important. But that's reality a lot of times, isn't it? We're going to minister because, well, okay, this is going to benefit me. All right, this is going to work out. Oh, I'm going to get chick, free Chick-fil-A. I don't know, you know, what's important to you. But. Or I'm not going to minister because I'm so sorry. There's just, I, I, just, I have too many other things that, frankly, are just more important. I think sometimes we need to do a regular audit of what we are giving our hearts and our time to and evaluate what is it that we are displaying is most important. You see, ministry and discipleship, discipleship is generous. It doesn't look what it's going to take. It looks what it can give. And praise God, that was the heart of God when he sent Jesus Christ, his son. He didn't send Jesus because he was getting us out of it. And oh my goodness, he is a much better God now with us than without us. No, he's a good God, period. But out of the goodness of his love and the kindness of his spirit, he sent Jesus. Not because we were a good people, but because he loves us. And our opportunity to minister and to disciple, you know what it mean, may mean? It may mean that sometimes you don't get to sit in big church, but you're over there because young people need pouring into. I, I, I don't know if your church does this. I hope your church does something like this, but every once in a while, there is a group of people that say, hey, we're gonna do a couple weeks uh, throughout the year that we're gonna step in and we're gonna fill in so that all those minute children's ministry workers can actually sit in here. Because a lot of times, they don't ever get to sit in here. We're going to step in and be a part of it. Do, do you know that there are some churches that when their youth pastor goes to camp, that's his vacation time? And he's still running the event or he's still running the different things? And then he goes around and he goes, hey, I need to grab people to, to help me be a part of this event. And it's like, well, it's, uh, you know, it's, our carpet is white. We don't want anybody to breathe on it. We actually don't go into the living room. There's literally no living that happens in the living room. We don't look at it even. It's like we walk by like this. It's like somehow it's the holy of holies, right? 
My dad's a pastor. You notice the twitch in me, right, Macy? Um, Listen, my dad's a pastor, and I love that my dad let living happen in his house. The kids in my community knew that my house had living happen in it. They also knew that my mom had a little sign that said, excuse our mess, we're making memories. But my mom and dad sought to be life-giving to the community that was around them. Thirdly, he says here, he says it's for everyone, no matter our position. He says, uh, in in verse 6, he says, Nor did we see glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we may have asserted our authority. At no time did Paul ever say, well, wait a second, do you know who I am? I am the boss of a pretty big company, and you want me to go and sit and play with children? Yeah, we do, because that would be good for you. Well, wait, 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 wait. You, you, you don't realize, I, I've already made it through. I've had children and my children have had children. I've, I'm done with that. No, no, but we can still be involved, right? Can I tell you, some of you older saints, some of these students would love nothing more than to be able to sit down and just hear about what God has done in your life. As you start to unpackage what you have gone through and, and the things and the lessons that God have taught you, and it's like literally you're talking about a totally different country because they don't even understand the world that you are talking about. But you can display to them the faithfulness of God as he has led you through different things and help them translate that out to their life right now and as they're looking for the faithfulness of God to take them through things. But as long as we spend our lives looking for somebody else to do it, the work's not going to get done. He says here, he says, it's God-focused. He says, because we were sent or approved by God. He says, I didn't stand up and I didn't share with you my opinions. I didn't share with you my views. I didn't only share with you my stories. I shared with you the word of God. He says in verse number four, he says this, he says, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, we speak not as pleasing men, but pleasing God. I don't know about you, but I can surely struggle with being a people pleaser just want everybody to be happy, and I just want everybody to be quiet, and I just want everybody to be in their place, right? And again, as, as long as I continue to look at ministry as if it's there to please me, then when their reaction isn't pleasing to me, I get frustrated and I get upset. He says this, he says, number five, he says it's caring. It's caring. It loves on people. He says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Let me ask you a question. Is there any more beautiful of a picture than a nursing mother tenderly caring and giving her child exactly what they need? It's a picture of beauty. It's a picture of of, of safety. It's a picture of security. It's a picture where that mother does not look at what she is getting out of the situation as much as what she is giving to her child. I remember this one time I had this awesome dad-husband moment. My daughter Haley was three years old. She's 15 now. It makes me still shake and, and, and cry a little bit. But she, when she was three, I looked at my wife one night and I said, Baby, why don't you go to bed? I'll stay up with Haley. And she looked at me like I was the greatest man in the world. And I was like, it's because I am, you know. <clears throat> Not only am I an awesome husband, but I'm going to be an amazing dad because I just rented the Incredible Hulk and me and three-year-old Haley, yes, three-year-old Haley are going to watch the Incredible Hulk and she's going to love it. I was hyping it up all day. Hulk, Hulk mad, ah, Hulk green, and she was like, Hulk, ah, and I was like, let's do it. For the next three weeks, she woke up every single night. Me no like a Hulk, me no like a Hulk, Hulk mad, Hulk green, Hulk, ah. Suddenly, I went from the greatest husband and father to like trash. It's not my fault that the guy made a movie not appropriate for three-year-olds. I wanted to watch the movie. And she was excited about it, right? At the end of those three weeks, uh, our house kind of became uh, uh, like a, a throughway for all these ministry leaders and different people that were coming through. And, and, uh, and so again, every night for about three weeks, my daughter Haley would wake up at the same time. And it's weird because it's not like I was still standing over her bed poking her in the middle of the night. I stopped that like at least four weeks ago, all right? So it couldn't have been that. <clears throat> But at the end of those three weeks, as people were coming through, we just made the decision to move Haley's bed into our room and put it at the end of our bed. Not forever, but for a time being. Number one, we didn't want to disturb our guests. And number two, we're just trying to figure out what what does she need, how we get through this. For that span of time that we moved her bed into our room, can I tell you how many times she woke up? Not once. 
because she was exactly where she wanted to be. She felt safe and she felt secure. She felt protected. The Hulk wasn't as big as dad and mom were. It was awesome. And we loved being able to care. Can I tell you there are some people that just know, need to know that they are cared for? Is your church, I think it is, but is your church a place where people can come in and go, I'm kind of angry with God right now. I don't even like him right now. I don't even know if I believe in him anymore. This is who I am, warts and all, mess ups, mistakes, frustrations and all. Are you willing to love me? And we have to answer the question if we are or not. Are we willing to get on our, on our knees in the muck, in the mess of life and love people through the hurt they're going through? There's times that we need to just care for people and there's times that discipleship needs somebody to just wrap their arms around them and say, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I love you and let's discover the place that does have all the answers. Not only is it caring, but sometimes it's challenging. It's challenging. He says here, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would his own children. Dads, you have an incredible ministry to speak challenge and life and, and energy into your kids. Now, sometimes that's reversed, and sometimes dad's more the caring one and mom's the more challenging one, but those are two ministries that are desperately needed in every single home and desperately needed in every single person's life. Now, I know you look at me and you think that this body was built to be a front linebacker. I don't even know if that's a real position, okay? <laughs> I, I was definitely not built for the O-line or the D-line, all right? I ran cross-country, and I know that's even surprising, all right? <laughs> but one of the things that my dad would do, he didn't, we wasn't able to do this at every single course, but what my dad would do is he would come out to the courses, because as you know, cross-country is like around the bend, up the hill, down the river, around the, you know, to grandmother's house we go, right, you know, and then back, back home. And my dad would walk the course with us as a team ahead of time. And then he would go and he would plant himself in places on the course that he knew his son would struggle to run. He knew his son would be tempted to ease up or to give up. And he would say, Kyle, come on, run to me, Kyle. Let's go. Come on, you can give me more than you can. Come on, Kyle. No, no, don't slow up. Get up. No, don't let that person get in front of you. Let's go. And I'd run past him and he'd go, come on, let's go. Kick it out. He would get to know the names of the students on my team. And he'd say, come on, Sarah. Come on, Brian. Come on, Chad. Come on, Ashley. Let's go. Run, run, run. Let's go. He'd place himself at the end of the race. And he'd say, come on, run to me, son. Run through. Don't run to the line. Run through the line. Let's go. Come on, keep going. And sometimes I promise you, I wanted to say, shut up. You run and I'll yell at you. <laughs> but I loved that I had a dad that sought to know his son so well and was willing to step into the midst of his struggle and cheer him on. Not call him out, but cheer him on. Ladies and gentlemen, every single one of us, I believe, need people that are going to come alongside of us and wrap their arms around us and to care on us. But then we also need people that are going to call us to a better life, that are going to call us to a higher standard, that are going to cheer us on, but look at us and say, you can do more than you're doing. You can give more than you're giving. He says here, he says, it's personal. He says, I believe he's saying it's more about the discipler and the minister than the one being ministered to. It, it calls me to a life of, of understanding that, that I have got to live out what I have laid out for them. I've tried to make a promise to the young men that I've discipled and, and poured into that here's the deal. Anything I ask of you, you can ask of me. If I ask you to memorize the scripture, I'm going to memorize the scripture. If I'm going to ask you to read the book, I'm going to read the book. And there's been times I've had to go back to him and say, hey guys, I'm so sorry. I allowed my schedule to dictate my life and I did not choose to read the book this week. And I could give you all the reasons, but, but I don't want to hear your excuses and so I don't want you to have to hear mine. Notice he doesn't say it's perfection. It's perfection. No, he says it's progression. But it's personal. It's about, it's about laying your life out as an example for others. There are students that I've had to have the deal and the agreement with that I've said, listen, if I'm going to come up to you and I'm going to say, hey, I want to see your phone. I want you to give me access to it. I want to go through it because I want to make sure that you're making good, wise, pure choices. But am I willing to give them my phone so that they can go through and make sure I'm making good, wise, pure choices? If I'm going to have a conversation with them and look at them and say, wait, 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 wait. Let's talk about the DVDs or the, or the, the things that you're watching. 
Do I give them access to my DVDs and the things that I'm watching? You see, discipleship has got to be an actual living life relationship. Not just a project time that you show up for an hour to an hour and a half every week and you check in and you check out. Well, if that's what it's defined as, then what does it ask of us? What does it ask of us? Well, like I said, it asks the, pro- the, pro- uh, the pursuit of progression. He says we, we sought to be upright and blameless as believers. Number two, he says that it's, it's pushing through the tough stuff in life. It's pushing through those, those hard things. He says, you recall our labor and our hardship. I would love to tell you that discipleship is easy. I'd love to tell you that, that every single discipleship just relationship sits there and says, teach me, Kyle. Lay out the life. I am here. Your student listens. It doesn't work like that all the time. In fact, sometimes they show up and they're like, I don't really want to be here right now. But can I be transparent with you? There's been some times that I haven't been putting my heart into it and they've asked me, do you really want to be here right now? Do we show up even when we come to church ready to listen to what God has for us so that we can walk out these doors and apply it to our lives? Discipleship can be tough. It takes work. Sometimes you need to have tough skin because you're helping other people to grow and even process through tough stuff. He says you've got to be available. How working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Night and day. Unfortunately, ministry and discipleship doesn't fit into a containable little box or or a on hours and off hours. Now, praise God, your phone doesn't always end up ringing at 3 o'clock in the morning, but there are some times when you make yourself available to another person that 3 o'clock in the morning is when everything falls apart. And you know that your 3 o'clock in the morning may look like a 2.45 in the afternoon, but when you reach out to that person, you need them to be there. Are we making ourselves available, or do we just have a, "Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm too busy right now. Hey, parents, are you taking advantage of the available times to you? The times that you're in the car? Sometimes I get in the car to take my kids someplace, and I'm on the phone all the time on work. When I have precious discipleship moments with them right there. My family has decided to to try to do this brand new trend. We're not doing it too well. I don't think any of you have heard of it. It's called eating dinner together at the same table in the same time. It's crazy. It's a brand new concept. It just was launched on TikTok or what I don't know what it is. Okay, brand new. I'll tell you about it later. You've got to create discipleship moments because it's not just going to naturally happen in your life. Have you not realized and come to the point where this world is not interested in you growing your children or in you pouring your heart into somebody else? And discipleship asks for you, your life, your energy, your commitment. He says, having so fond of an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. We gave of ourselves. We said no to self, and we said yes to you. We said no to what we wanted to do, and we rearranged our schedule to help you and to pour into you. Ministry and discipleship is not an I talk, you listen. It doesn't happen just by osmosis. It's about giving your life. Our children need life, not just another storyteller, not just another babysitter. They need somebody to breathe life into them. Our teenagers need life, not just another warm body to fill the void or another chaperone. They need life. Our community needs life, not just another churchgoer, not just another community volunteer. They need life. And the church, we, us, need life. So if that's what it asks, then what does it give Ending here, Paul says this. He says, for this reason, he explodes off the page. For this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received it, you heard it, you accepted it from us, not as the word of men, not as our word, but for what it is, really is, the word of God which performs its work in you who believe. Paul, Paul just seems to say, listen, when you got it, you got it. It's not you following us, it's you following Jesus. Now, you go and you grab somebody and all grow, grab somebody and let's multiply this thing. I love that your church has found the heartbeat of planting other churches and willing even to send other people out to start that new church. 
My mom and dad uh, reached a point where they'd realized that they needed to plant a church, and so my dad and my mom, they stepped out with four other families to start a church, and in about three months, three of those four families dropped out on them. And it was a lonely, hard road. So thank you so much for grasping that vision. Thank you so much for what you have been doing for your students. Thank you so much that you allowed this place to be rearranged and reset up for students. But again, that's, this just can't be a one-time event where we disciple now. No, no, no. We are going to make this church a discipleship church. And some of you in this place, I know you've caught that heartbeat, and I know you've caught that vision, and I'm encouraging you to continue running with that. But for the rest of us, we've got to get on board because if not, it's going to die. It's going to end. Why do we do it? We do it so that they walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us, but we do it so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us. Sure, ministry and discipleship takes life, it takes energy, but it gives. It gives more than we could ever imagine or describe. It gives the greatest joy to watch a young person grow up and step up into leadership. What a joy it would be to not have to look outside of these walls for the next pastor or leadership person here, right? What a joy is it to look down at one of these young people and go, listen, I know who you are. I watched you stumble. I watched you struggle. I watched you mess up. But man, I watched you fix your eyes on Jesus and run after him. And that's a young man or a young woman I could get behind. Amen? Amen. To cheer them on. They just had a moment this past weekend where they came to this cross and they said, either God, here's my heart in salvation or here's my heart in dedication. Here's my eyes, here's my hands, here's my, here's my mouth, here's my mind, here's my whatever. Or God, here's something that I brought to the cross in forgiveness, but then I carried away. No, 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 God, in repentance, I bring it back to you. But they need people that are gonna gather around them and help them to live this heartbeat out. Because it's not just gonna naturally happen and continue. John says this in 3 John verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth and live out what they say they believe. So does it hurt at times? Yes. Is it inconvenient at times? Yes. Does it fit into a nice, neat little package box that I can fully understand and manage? No but it brings the greatest fulfillment and joy like nothing else can produce. To see lives ministered to and developed. Lives that are like Jesus. Lives that then turn and minister to others. Faithful men who teach faithful men who teach faithful men who teach faithful men. To understand that that is the heartbeat of what we are living out. And it's not just the heartbeat of this church. It's not just the heartbeat of your pastor. It is the heartbeat of Jesus. Patty Zuber was the 22-year-old daughter of Chester Zuber. Patty was a, was a nursing student. She was studying nursing, and she was getting her degree, and, and spring break came up, and she and her friends decided to go down to, to, to Tennessee and to, to have a good spring break trip. And as they were making their way down to Tennessee, a, a tractor trailer uh, driver fell asleep at the wheel and crossed over the median and slammed into their Jeep, immediately killing some of the other passengers and putting Patty into a comatose state where she was brain dead. Chester, her father, was on the heart transplant list. Chester's heart was dying. He had tried different surgeries, he had tried different things, and nothing was happening. And in a weird law that Michigan has, that father made probably one of the hardest decisions he's ever had to make. And so they, down in Tennessee, took Patty's life, they laid her out on the table, they opened up her chest, they took out her perfectly good beating heart, they packaged it up, they sent it up to Michigan, they laid Chester out on the table, they opened up his heart, they took his dying, defective heart out, and in its place they put the heart of his daughter. And in an amazing, incredible article that you can go and read about Chester Zuber, he lived and he ministered to. He actually knew Jesus as his Savior, which I think is awesome. He walks and he talks and he breathes. And there's not a moment that I don't imagine that he doesn't know that he's able to do those things because the heart of his daughter beats inside his chest. Church, have we forgotten that there was a day 
that our heart was not defective, it was not deficient, it was dead. And God Almighty loved us so much that he took his son, Jesus Christ, and he laid him out on the operating table, and he opened up his chest, and he took his life-giving heart out, and in our place of our dead, defective heart, he put the heart of his son. And so why does our heart not beat the way that Jesus' does? Why are we looking for somebody else to be the one that pours out into somebody else? The heartbeat of Jesus in everywhere he went was to pour into people, not asking what they could give, but what he could give to them. And you have a community inside this church and outside this church that desperately needs your life and needs your time and needs you to reschedule your priorities. Now, I know that you type A people have been going, what in the world are those stupid shoes there for? That's the beauty of an illustration. These are a, a pair of Blake's shoes. Notice they're nice and casual. They're kind of laid back. They're like, what's up? You know, you just look at these. They just look cool, you know, because Blake's just a cool guy. Now, I found out that Blake was a young man that grew up in this church. And there was another man who was your youth pastor, and he stepped out of his shoes, and he left a vacant spot for Blake to fill. I asked each of the pastors, these are, these are a pair of, of John's shoes, right? Cool, kind of like trail walking shoes, right? You know, stylish, but effective and efficient, you know what I'm saying? Okay. You've got these ones over here. These are, these are Kevin's shoes, okay? Worn away, all right? Because this man, listen, he does a lot of work around here, all right? These are pastor shoes. These are fishing shoes. I don't know what that says, but that just tells me everything I need to know about them right now, okay? And then these shoes... These are, are special shoes to me. These shoes are, are, are owned or were owned by a lady by the name of Drea Taves. Drea, when my wife was 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, poured her heart into my wife. Invited her over to her house. Let her watch her parent. Let her watch her, her, her even sometimes discipline her kids. My wife was there sometimes during meals and sometimes just during the day. Uh, the day Drea would rearrange her life and go and, and watch my wife's volleyball games and, and go and pick her up from school and hang out with her and, and take her out to eat, interact with her. And at the age of 42, Drea suddenly died. Without explanation, just died. To make this story even cooler, as, as I love, is that uh, Drea had, had four children, two girls and two boys. She was married to a guy that had a quote-unquote real job but did ministry over here and was the, the, the bi, uh, bipolar, I almost said, but no, bivocational youth pastor, although sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> and Wes and Drea poured their life into those youth kids. When my wife and I got married and we, we stepped into ministry, it was like my wife living out the dream that she's had of being Drea Taves. We have four children, two girls and two boys. And my wife gets to do ministry and gets to disciple young ladies. But I praise God that there was a time where there was a lady in my wife's life that filled these shoes. And you have girls in your church that are desperately seeking for one of you ladies to take the time to fill these shoes in their life. There are young men in your church that are desperately seeking that one of you men fill these shoes in their life. So that one day they might be able to fill one of these shoes. But we have got to be willing to give our lives and to step out and to rearrange our priorities. Because if we don't, these puzzle pieces get never connected. And then we wonder why students grow up and they graduate and they leave the church. Because their puzzle piece never got connected to what God was doing inside the church. And so I don't know what it is that you've brought today. I don't know where it is that you've come. But I know that the ministry of discipleship, the opportunity sits all around you. The question is, will you and I grab the opportunity and be a part of it? The question is, whose life are we willing to pour into? Are we willing to give? Not just financially, but our time and our energy. As you know, even just one hour a week could make a massive amount of difference into somebody else's life. Are you willing to be available? 
to give somebody else one of our most precious commodities in life, time. And as you know, people spell love, not C-A-S-H, but T-I-M-E. And lastly, whose life will be better because you were willing to give? Even those Easter invitations sitting on your chair could begin a community outreach that turns into a discipleship opportunity that changes a family, that changes a community, that changes a school, that changes a sports team, that changes a state, that changes a country, that reaches the world. Because you were willing and available. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to meet here today with these people. I thank you so much for the opportunity to pour your heart into these people. God, I pray that they would have not just heard my opinions, my stories, my heartbeat, but God, that they would have heard the message that you want them to hear. That there are young people here in this church that desperately need them to reach out and to pour into. Father God, I pray for that person that is sitting here. I pray that they heard your voice today. Father, I pray for that hurting person that they heard your care today. Father, I pray for that, for that person that's not involved, that they would talk to Blake, that they would talk to, to Kevin, that they talk to Aaron, that they talk to, to Terry, that they talk to somebody here and say, How could I get involved? Where is the space where my puzzle piece could fit? Whose life could I pour into? God, I specifically now pray for that person that at one point in their life said to you, Jesus, I will give you my life in missionary service or in ministry service. And God, then everything else distracted and divided and took them in another direction. That they would go and find one of these ministry leaders, even the pastor, and say, hey, I need your help. We got to build a plan. I got to get back to my promise that I made to the Lord. Father, would you use this church to impact this community and to impact this world for Jesus? In your name, amen.